When I was a kid, I was jumpy. I was nervous. I was scared of what was under the bed. I was scared of what was behind the shower curtain. And sometimes I would, I would get frightened and just bolt out of a room. I don't know if it was because of a scary TV commercial, a scary movie or whatever, but I was jumpy. And I remember so many times just going about my life and all of a sudden I start looking at something and I get scared. Uh, in my grandpa's office, he had all of these like animals in there, uh, animal skins and stuff. And I would get scared and I would run to my mother or I would see a scary TV commercial for Scooby-Doo or something like that. And I would run out of the room and jump on my grandpa, jump on my mom, jump in my grandma's lap. And when you're five or six years old, that's kind of cute. But I think it got old once I was about 12 years old. Like picture a Great Dane sitting in someone's lap and they're like, hey, hey, <laughs> you're getting too old for this. And I was thinking, I learned how to, I learned how to, uh, to filter that behavior and I don't, I don't jump in my mom's lap anymore when I get scared, but sometimes the fear is still there. Uh, but now I run to my heavenly father. Uh, now, even though we live in a world that is filled with industry, there's entire industries that are feeding off of our fear and panic. There are entire industries feeding off of, <laughs> feeding off of our, our every little button that makes us scared. But scriptures teach us that there's only one person to fear. And we don't have to go into this place where we think, I'm scared of everything, or I'm, I'm too small, I'm too weak. God could never use me. No, even in your fear, even in your anxiety, God can still use people like you and me. And though I don't struggle with it like I used to, I'm not where I was, but I'm still not where I wanna be. I'm still not where I know God, God can get me to. So we're gonna be talking about that over the next coming weeks uh, of all the unlikely, or some of the unlikely people that God uses. And I was thinking about starting out with David. In uh, the story, and we all know the story of David and Goliath, and that's really what had been cooking in my heart. And so, I, I, as I started to prepare, I was uh, I was in First uh, Samuel chapter sixteen, and there's this the story of God anointing uh, someone who didn't just have all the outward appearance, all the bravery and the good looks, and and being taller than everybody, but the the passage here says that God looks on the heart of a person. And then I noticed an irony. After all of David's, uh, David's brothers were brought by Samuel and God said, no, not this one, no, not this one. And finally David comes before the prophet. Uh, it jumped out at me uh, that uh, David was also good looking too, <laughs> but God looks upon the heart. But then as I started reading this passage, the text actually took me in a different direction towards some of the unlikely people that God uses. Follow along with me here in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? 
If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when he met them. And they asked, do you come in peace? And I got to that last word. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to get to the place where we, we see David, the, the youngest son, the shepherd boy anointed, and get to the thing of, look at how God started out with the most unlikely person and, and used this person to accomplish God's mission. But then that word tremble, it, it, I couldn't get rid of it. And I, I kept thinking like trembling is the right response to God. Samuel came into this village and the elders, the people in Bethlehem uh, who were wise and the ones that followed God, they trembled and, and caused the, this question, do you come in peace? And I kept thinking, wow, trembling really is the right response to God. And how often in my life do I tremble uh, when, when the littlest thing goes wrong in my life? Oh no, even like, being late, uh, oh no, and especially if it's not my fault. Like I, I'm just hitting every traffic light and I left with plenty of time. I tremble, oh God, what's gonna happen? I tremble at silly things, but how often do I tremble before God and, and God's word? But instead I tremble at my perception usually of what might be. So when I mean trembling before God, I mean having this reverence like there's this, God created everything, beauty and the grandeur of, of everything in God's ordered universe. Do I tremble at that? Do I tremble at the words of God that have been preserved for us? Do I tremble when I hear God talking to me? And it got to Proverbs chapter 28, verse 14. This wisdom literature said, says, blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. What a, what a contrast there. That it's wise to tremble before God but, and to cultivate that soft heart. But it's, it's foolish to let your heart get hard. And it's easy to let your heart get hard with so much pain and suffering in the world, with so many things. Sometimes we try to numb ourselves out because of difficulties in our lives or just the amount of pain around us. How, what a good reminder for us to cultivate that sense of reverence and awe for God. Isaiah echoes that. He says, or God says through him, these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. The prophet Jeremiah still echoes the same message from God. Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? I made the sand a boundary for the sea, an everlasting barrier it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. But these people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned aside and gone away. 
reading these verses made me think about how God has moved throughout the history of, of his people in Israel, preserving this people, how God has moved through the history of the early church and, and up to our present time. And I kept remembering and contemplating on this fact. God always preserves a remnant that tremble at his word. It's how God works in this world, no matter what seems to be happening around us. And I think this is what, this my best hunch is, this is what God wants us to be, and this is what God is doing, not only at solid ground, but in God's church around the world. He's refining and preserving a remnant in spite of everything that's going on. I came to the story of Josiah in 2 Kings. Josiah is one of my favorite kings. He became king at the age of eight years old. And even though his father before him didn't follow God, 18 years into Josiah's reign, something significant happened. Shaphan was sent to the temple to do some business. You know, Josiah sent his, uh, his assistant Shaphan to the temple and Hilkah the priest came to him and said, I found it. Shaphan's like, what? And the high priest says, I found the book of the law. And in it, this is the first time the, the scriptures mentioned that, that there were scriptures that the Israelites considered sacred. It's, he found the portion of the Old Testament. So Shaphan takes it back to King Josiah and reads it. And when Josiah reads these words that hadn't been read for years and years and years, Josiah tore his robes in repentance. And Shaphan was sent by the king to the prophet. And th there's another sermon in here, uh, and it's for another time, but listen to this. The prophet, she lived in Jerusalem. She prophesied actually disaster for Israel once, once she was explaining to Shaphan what this means. But in the prophecy, she said, but because Josiah had a heart that trembled before God, he would be spared having to endure this destruction. He wouldn't have to look on it. And Josiah sprung into action and repentance, trying to move, do everything in his power to move the, the people he was leading back towards God. He read the book of the law to the people and in the presence of the people and in the presence of God, renewed the covenant between Israel and God because he had a heart that trembled. Sometimes the remnant is just one leader, even though Josiah had status and he was the king. In his situation, the whole nation had forgotten the ways of God. This is how God moves, even if it's just one person. I think of Ezra, the prophet. When he returned to Jerusalem, he found that people had intermarried with people of other nations. And that was, that was bad, not for ethnic religions, not for ethnic reasons. That was bad because when they intermarried, they were adopting foreign gods, contrary to the law of God. And their, their hearts were wandering. And he says, when I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, pulled my hair from my beard and head, and sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. He's trembling. He's 
saying, oh my goodness, we have lost our way. And God used Ezra to call the nation back to the path that they were destined for. And moving on in history, I think of Daniel living in exile. He was one of those exiles and he refused to, to bow down to the king and pray to the king. No, at the appointed time, he went back. Even though he wasn't supposed to, he stood up and prayed to his God and wound up in a lion's den for it. At the same time, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they stood before the king. They wouldn't bow down before an idol to a false god. They only worshiped the one true God. And they said this beautiful line of scripture that even if he doesn't deliver us, we still have to follow God. What a great posture. When we find ourselves in a place of defending ourselves with people outside of the faith, they knew God's gonna deliver us. There's not even any need to defend ourselves. So we're gonna be true to God and even if he doesn't deliver us from the flames, we're still going to obey God. It must be enough for us to obey and tremble at the word of God. We have the book of Esther where Mordecai would not bow his knee to Haman. We have the followers of Jesus in early church history talk about not being in a position of power, unlikely people that God used, a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and former Pharisees all together having no power in the, in the Roman Empire and they started a movement, even though most of them were martyred, started this movement that flipped the world on its head. We think of what's going on in the modern global south, how the church is exploding, how God is, is in these simple churches, some of them may be in a, in a living room, under a palm tree, or, or meeting in secret, and God is using these people. They may not be in positions of power, but God's movement is growing, it's gathering. These little pockets of people throughout history and even today are all over the world. And these little pockets of people are people who tremble at the word of the Lord. So when things get rough, when you get jumpy, when something scares you, which way do you run? Do you run to your heavenly father? Do you, do you take a posture of going, I don't understand this? Do you take a posture of maybe lamenting? And, and, and grieving before God? Or when things get rough, do you run away? Do you zone out through Netflix? Do you zone out through, through binging a bunch of episodes of some TV show you've seen a thousand times? Like to the point where it's too much. Maybe you overeat. Maybe you try to numb out with, with some sort of substance. What do we do when things get rough? Do we draw upon the experience of all these people we've just talked about a bunch of books of the Bible, a bunch of unlikely people that God used. Do we follow their example and say, God's going to, God's up to something, even though I don't understand it right now? Or, or do we try to fix things on, ourself, uh, on our own? Do we try to, to use our own smarts, our own talents to fix our problems? And if that's you, how is that working? <laughs> it doesn't work well for me. We can look at the news when things get rough and think, oh my goodness, this is all, where is God? Is God take a day off or something? And I've been very clear uh, 
over these, these past couple of years, I totally get that our culture is growing more and more hostile to the faith. At the same time, looking back at this, I get suspicious at what God is up to. God has a really good track record of preserving a remnant of people that tremble before him and using them. And it only makes sense in in the light of history, usually like, oh my goodness, that's what God was up to. So in the things that face us in the future, we have some choices. We could adopt like some, some people are doing, like this us versus them mindset, as people are growing more and more hostile to the faith as it, it seems like, and I think for the most part, here in North America, people don't hate the church as much as they nothing the church <laughs> in Christians, just like not on their radar. Uh, some people call it a post-Christian mi- mindset. Like uh, they, they just nothing us. But one response could be to adopt a us versus them mindset and try to just preserve our own and 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 go towards like just just taking care of our own. Another mindset could be trying to like forcefully arm twist people into following God. Or we could trust that God is doing something. We could we could change our our strategy and say, oh, okay, so people don't nothing us anymore. So let's, let's try to find out uh, uh, and join like this humanist type movement where, where we can conform our church to the modernist ideas of justice and, and just like show everybody that we're relevant and we're doing things. That kind of goes along the lines of what Paul talks about in 2 Timothy, like only teaching things uh, that people's itching ears want to hear. But in my experience, that that kind of only good works type of approach just leads towards striving and leads towards like what we can do with our own hands. Or we could just kind of join the therapeutic movement and kind of treat God like he's some sort of Santa Claus in the sky or our butler or our therapist and offer religious goods and services to people and and say like, let's add God on to, to, to whatever else is in your life and maybe it'll be beneficial to you. Or we could look at the example in scripture and become a trembling church, a trembling people who, who honor God's ways and who trust that God's got this in the palm of his hands. We could be a remnant that, that builds our lives on the teachings of Jesus and like Josiah did, like remove idols from our hearts in our homes and communities and invite other people to do so. I think God wants us to be a people that run to the loving Heavenly Father first when our world is shaken. I think God wants us to be a group of people, a family of believers, that when things don't go our way, our first response isn't to become combative or reclusive. But to have this third response where we're confident we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to obey Jesus, respect Jesus, um, no matter what. So what I think this looks like for us is that we probably need to rethink what it looks like to be victorious. 
And we've, we've grappled with this so many times as we've spent time together here, but life isn't always up and to the right. And sometimes following God feels like you're just limping towards the finish line. But when I think of that, I think of the, uh, the Hebrew prophets again. Micah says, uh, you know, God's speaking through him. I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles. Like God is the one who will do this. And yes, we put ourselves out there and there's effort involved in, in following God, but God is the one who's building and refining and rejuvenating the remnant. Zephaniah says that I will leave within you a remnant. Zechariah, the prophet, says the seed will grow well. I think it's not just like pie in the sky optimism. This is what God is, been, is up to, has been up to, and will continually be up to, is building his people and moving things just right. And we get to be a part of it. So if you've ever had one of those voices in your head that's like, oh, things are way bigger than me. I can't make a difference. In a way, you're right. But in a way, you're wrong. You can't make a difference on your own. But with God, anything is possible. With God in you and God using you, you can be a part of something that God uses to change the world to accomplish his mission. So I wanna end with a couple of questions that are a challenge. I wanna challenge you to sit down and prayerfully this week, ask yourself a couple of questions and then pray about the answers. First question, what are you afraid of? Don't worry, you don't have to put it in the comments below. You don't even have to, to, to private message us. This is between you and God. What are you afraid of? I've been asking myself that lately. And it's amazing the, the perspective that comes from that. What am I afraid of? What am I really afraid of? What do I have to lose? So ask yourself that question. What are you afraid of? And then prayerfully ask this one. And I'm gonna poke at you a little bit. If you'll let me pastor you for a second. Who or what are you allowing to shepherd you through your fears? Who or what are you allowing to shepherd you through your fears? Is it a person? Is it a harmful habit? Is it a destructive train of thoughts that you, you go down when you have fears? Or are you allowing the good shepherd to shepherd you through your fears? How about this? What are you fearing too much? What are you not fearing enough? When was the last time that God gripped your heart? Like John Wesley talked about having this moment where his heart was strangely warmed. The disciples, when they met the resurrected Jesus, uh, uh, were, had this moment where they're like, oh, as he was talking to us, did our hearts not burn? When was the last time that God's love and grace gripped your heart? When was the last time you trembled at the word of God in reverence, in a sense of awe? When was the last time you asked, me, Lord? Like, really? You want to use me? When was the last time you heard God saying, 
Yes, you. I've chosen you. Come follow me. I want to use you. So take a moment. Take a few moments every day this week and, and pray through those questions. And I would love to hear what God speaks to you because just like God uses people from all over the socioeconomic spectrum, men, women, uh, from all different nationalities, God, can you, God wants to use you too. And God is still up to something, but let's, let's start at the right place and putting our trust in God and running to God first and foremost, no matter what life throws at us. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we repent right now of running to other things instead of you. Uh, for comfort, uh, for, for uh, a solution to our fears, I thank you for speaking to us through your word and reminding us today that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. Thank you for reminding us of your big master plan to bring your kingdom to earth. And oh my goodness, may every person right now hear your voice calling their name and remind us that you can do anything. So God, we just humbly submit ourselves to you in this moment and ask, use us. We ask you, use us however you will. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen. Well, until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen.